Thank you for listening to the Parker DC Sermon Podcast. The following message is a ministry of Parker Memorial Baptist Armorville campus. We aim to be biblically faithful, Christ exalting, and God glorifying as we preach and teach the scriptures with boldness and application. We hope you will join us in person this Sunday morning at 11 a.m. for worship celebration. For more information about Parker DC, visit us at www.dclivelove.com. We hope you enjoy. Thank you. Well, good morning. Are you awake? I felt like I had everybody sleepy outside with the rain and stuff. I tried to turn the water off out there, but it didn't work. But nonetheless, wake up with me and open your Bible to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. We're starting a new series today. If you're our guest today, I like to preach in series. I just think it's healthy for the church because we build on, on the text itself as we grow and upon the truth and the message and the principles out of that. So Mark, chapter 1, uh, we're going to get there in just a second. This is a, a three-month series and a couple other ways you can engage with that. Uh, you have First of all, you have a worship guide hopefully in front of you. Take those notes. If you're watching online with us, uh, get a piece of paper and a Bible out to write those down. Uh, we, we try to be high-tech rednecks every now and then. we got a digital copy online. You can fill them in and even save that digital copy to your device if you want to do that, all right? Just don't be TikToking and Facebooking right now, okay? Amen, right? Uh, there's also another way to, to, to apply this, all this stuff together is on Wednesday nights, we have started an application group. So what happens on a Sunday morning is you get a, a brief uh, portion of what the pastor's been studying all week long, all right? So it's hard to preach 30 minutes. You're like, you don't preach 30 minutes, preacher. I try, all right? It's hard to preach 30 minutes because, man, you spend 12, 15 hours sometimes in a sermon prep, and you've got all this other content that you really would like to discuss. And so we've created a group on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock next door that you can come sit in a room with me, and we're going to unpack it a little bit further for the course of an hour, all right? That text a little bit more. Also, during this series, because Mark has got a lot of, of stories and stuff, there's no way to do this in three months, okay? Like, even if I took large chunks and just preached longer, which you guys would probably throw stones at me for, there's just no way to do this in three months. And so, there's going to be about 16 or 18 different devotionals we're putting out with a text that we're not covering in the sermons. And so, you can get those on social media. Some of them will be video uh, devotionals. Most of them will be written devotionals as well. And so, you can do those during the week if you, like, get to a text like, hey, Preacher didn't preach on that. Well, there is a devotional, okay? All right? That gives you a little extra content during the week, all right? Y'all got it? Uh-huh. All right, so nobody in, a, in three months should say, I don't know anything about the gospel of Mark because that's what we're going to talk about for the next three months, okay? Now, why, why Mark? Because this year, uh, we're beginning a four-year journey, really kind of reshaping the vision of our church. And we believe that God has created us to be a church for the unchurched, right? We want to reach people who are unchurched, and many of which are lost in our community. And so we've been doing that for eight years, but we have, listen, we have been able by God's grace really to be uh, stabilized and a stable a community church. And so we're looking beyond ourselves, okay? And how do we do that? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, Jesus tells his followers, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? And so over the next four years, we're going to take that very literally. We're going to look at our, our Jerusalem. Our Jerusalem is our community, and we're focusing heavy on taking the gospel to our community in 2023. 20, wow, 23 this year, okay? And next year, we'll look at our, our region, and then we'll look at our outsiders as compared to Samaria. Maybe we don't see eye to eye with, and then we'll look at our world. Now, all along, 
Well, preacher, that mean we're stopped doing four missions? No, we actually got four mission trips going on all the time, right? But we're focusing our attention back to the DeArmondville area because I believe this. There are people in our backyard who desperately need the gospel of Jesus Christ, amen, right? And listen, if it's not us, who's it going to be? If it ain't us, who's going to take the gospel to DeArmondville? Who's going to take the gospel to East Oxford? If it ain't us, who's it going to be? If it ain't us, who's going to take the gospel to parts of your neighborhood? If it ain't you, who's it going to be? And so I believe that looking at the gospel is always helpful. And looking at the stories of Jesus is always helpful. And looking at the gospel books are helpful. And so we begin with Mark because I want to remind you again of what the gospel is. Okay, well, preacher, we've been talking about the gospel for the last number of years. And I'm never going to get over the gospel. Amen. The gospel is not just an invitation to follow Christ, but it's also this, the platform and the foundation to live the Christian life and grow as Christian. Amen? And so the gospel should never grow old to our ears. As a result, Mark was the first gospel book written. Did you know that? Of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark was actually the first one published. And it was from John Mark. You may know a little about John Mark. John Mark was cousin of Barnabas. In the book of Acts, we say that, Bar- that Barnabas and John Mark and Paul went on these missionary journeys, the first one. Now, Barnabas and Paul went further, and John Mark, well, he got homesick. You ever been homesick before? He got homesick in Asia, and he went back, Okay. And ultimately, though, there was some restoration. And, and, and the next time around, the, the missionary journeys came. Paul had a little grudge about all of that. And so, you know, I don't know if y'all know this, but sometimes churches fuss and fight. Did y'all know that? Right? And Christians fuss and fight. And that's shocking, right? But Paul and Barnabas had a fuss and fight because Barnabas's cousin is John Mark. And although he, 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 he left the last missionary trip, he's still a good guy. And Barnabas loves his cousin. And so as a result of that... John Mark and Barnabas were on a missionary journey, and Paul and Silas were on a mission journey. journey. It's like one team to two teams, right? And God can take even bad things and turn around for, for good. Amen, right? So this is John Mark. Later on, we know that Paul and John Mark make up because Paul even says so as one of his writings says, hey, encourage John Mark. He is a faithful servant of the Lord. Now, this John Mark also had a close relationship with a guy named Peter, all right? Peter is one of the, the inner three disciples. There's James, there's John, and Peter. I refer to Peter the big mouth, right? He spent more time chewing on his shoes than did anything else. He was the most impulsive guy of all the disciples, right? If, if there was some, some question asked, now you may know people like this. He was some question asked, Peter was the first one to speak up. Like he, he had the answer even when he didn't, right? Amen? Do you know anybody like that? Don't nudge your husband or wife right now, please, okay? All right? We know people like that. They're just going to be the first one to speak up, and then they go, uh, 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 and then try to give you an answer, but it may not be right. That was, that was Peter, right? But Peter and John Mark were close, and as a result of that, Mark's gospel really became the gospel of Peter, really. The gospel according to the experiences and stories and the memories and the teachings that Peter heard Jesus teach, right? And so what we get is really not, not Mark's account. You only get really one verse of Mark's account, the very first verse. We'll get there in a second. You really get the stories of Peter in the life of Jesus, okay? So as we get there, remember, this isn't John Mark, really. This is more, really, from the memoirs of Peter, all right? So if you have a Bible this morning, I want you to take it out, for, or Mark chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 1 in just one minute. This morning, I want to give you five gospel truths from this first 13 verses. Five gospel truths. And we're going to talk about John the Baptist. He was a weird dude. Weirder than the preacher. All right. He was a weird dude. All right. We're going to look at how Jesus was even baptized. And then immediately after Jesus was baptized, he was tempted by Satan. Now, one thing to note about Mark before we get any further. Mark is the short book. Amen. How many of you like short books? 
Amen? Give me the Baptist elbow if you don't want to do all that. That's fine. All right? But Mark is a short book. If you want the details, read Luke. I mean, if you want, Luke's the doctor. He is OCD, going to give you every little minute detail. If you want the theology, read John, all right? If you want, if you want all of the rich history of, of the Jewish people, read Matthew, right? But if you want, like, just the point, get down to the point preacher, read Mark, all right? So there are times in this series, like, I want more information. Well, thank God there are four Gospels, right? And we'll, we'll feed from those other four Gospels. But Mark is more straight to the point. That does not necessarily mean the preacher will be straight to the point in the series this, this time around, okay? Amen? Or, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Let's begin with this quote from Tim Keller. This is the Gospel. The Christian Gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. Five gospel truths seen in our first text this morning. Let's read with me. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Y'all with me? Say, uh-huh. All right, let's do it. So the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The word beginning there, uh, a couple other books begin with these two words. The beginning, probably you should think about Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, right? But also John begins his gospel, in the beginning was the word, right? It's the beginning of the gospel. The very purpose of the entire gospel of Mark, which was written by John Mark to Christians in Rome during Nero's persecution of Christians to give them an account of the gospel. The whole point is to give you the fullness of who Jesus is, what he did, and how you can have life everlasting, okay? This is the purpose. The beginning of the gospel, the good news, the glad tidings of great joy that we talked about at Christmas, of Jesus, and Christ is not his last name, by the way. You know that, right? It's not like Jesus Christ. His middle name is the, Jesus the Christ, right? No, Jesus Christ. Christ is the Greek word, for the Old Testament word, Hebrew word for Messiah. So when you see Jesus Christ, it's Jesus the Messiah. Go with me, say, oh yeah. So listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. <laughs> from, from very verse words, Mark, again, from this point on, it turns really to Peter's memoirs. But from the very first declaration, the very first statement, is a high view. Now, this, this is a big doctrine word. If you don't know church words, that's okay. I don't want to, I don't want to confuse it. But the word's Christology. A high view of Christ. Christology is the, the doctrine of who Christ is. Like, 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 like I, I need you to know that Jesus is the Christ. He is fully God. Fully God. He is the one that we have waited for. Now, we, we talked about this Christmas for 400 years, since the very last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, all right, all the way up to what we get in Matthew or Mark came first. I don't know why we put Matthew, well, actually I do, but anyway, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's 400 years of what we call the Dark Ages. There was really, there was no new revelation from God. No prophets, no books. The, the, the Old Testament canon was closed. It was done. And we were hopeful, waiting for Jesus. And then guess what? Jesus burst on the scene, right? And this is that sentence that defines this bursting on the scenes. This is the beginning of something new. I love New Year's, right? Because in New Year's, we get a chance to kind of hit the reset button, right? In, in your own personal life, maybe you, you how many of y'all make resolutions? How many of you have already broken your resolutions, right? We're a weekend, right? It, but it does give us a framework for kind of renewing things. Maybe we have a, a healthier perspective towards 
our, our lifestyle, our eating habits, our exercise. Maybe it's a healthier perspective of our priority and our time. As a church, a healthier perspective or a regaining, of, a, a refocusing on the vision that God has given us. January allots us a chance to, to, to see something new, something different. And that's what God is doing. And that's what Mark tells us. It's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a high view of Christ. Number one, if you have a worship guide. I'm just going to give you five of these, okay? Number one, the gospel demands a Savior who is fully God and at the same time becomes fully man for the purpose of our redemption. This very first statement emphasizes Jesus, a man who's also fully God, and he is the Messiah. Y'all with me? I'll say, uh-huh. This, this, this very first sentence is enough to write books upon, to preach whole sermon series upon. This is the, this is the declaration that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, and he has come for you. He is pursuing you because he loves you. And he, listen, and he can identify with where you're at. This is the gospel. Like 1 Timothy chapter 2, 5, verse 5 says this. There's one God and there's one mediator between God and men. And that is the man, Christ Jesus. Again, Messiah Jesus. There, there's one God and there's one mediator between the Father and mankind. And that is Jesus. And he could not do that unless he was both fully God, fully divine, but also experienced life as being fully human. I don't understand that, do you? Like, I'm a preacher. I've got theology degrees. I don't understand how, how he could be both, but he could be both. He never, he never dropped his divinity. He just put on humanity. And so he was both at the very same time. As a result of that, Romans chapter 8, Paul says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is the right hand of God. And this is, this is Jesus, who is interceding for us. You know why? Because he's fully man. But he's also fully God. And this is really important. The gospel demands that reality. Good Christology is central to all Christian doctrine. Do you realize that? Everything that Christians believe is predicated on how we view Christ. Really. So the first three or four centuries, if we talk about church history for a minute. You know what the church fussed about? And again, it's shocking. Church fussed, right? You know what the church fussed about? Who is Jesus? I mean, they had to fight it out nearly. They had, they had lots of Baptist business meetings before there was ever Baptist, right? And you know what they were talking about? Who is this Jesus? Like, we got to define. We, we got to have some creeds. We got to have some council decisions because we have to make sure we got this right. Because if we mess up who we view Jesus to be, all of other Christian faith crumbles, church. Crumbles. And so thank God we, we come up with the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. You have councils at Nicaea and Chalcedon who define Jesus as being fully God, fully man. Define the Trinity. We'll talk about that in a minute as well. Because we need to understand who we worship. We need to understand who our Savior is. We cannot reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ unless we know who Jesus Christ is. Amen? Romine. Think about it this way. Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes this way of Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. Then, in that position, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the Jesus of the gospel. 
write down Colossians chapter 1, we won't read that text, emphasizes the position of deity and humanity. Mark chapter 1, verse 2. Y'all still with me? As is written in Isaiah. Now, it's interesting. We, 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 Mark's going to do this. He's going to pull in a bunch of prophecies throughout his book to, to, to illustrate the point, all right? And in this case, it's not always, like the scriptures, one of the best ways to say about Mark is it's, one of the commentators talked about it. It's not necessarily a biography about Jesus. It's a historical theology, okay? So not all the details are very, very detailed, minute level. This is actually a quote from Isaiah, but also two other references in this quote, okay? So he gets this quote from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, John the Baptist, okay? The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way the Lord and make his path straight. But it's also referencing Exodus chapter 23, verse 20, and Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, in the terminology of that verse. Okay? So who is John the Baptist? I'm glad you asked. He was a weirdo. Okay? John the Baptist is, is the first act of revelation that we see since Malachi. No prophets, no new written word, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere... There's John the Baptist. Question one, is John the Baptist, this is the question of the gospel, is John the Baptist, is he the Messiah? The answer is absolutely not. But the Old Testament prophets say, you know what? There will be a voice of one like Elijah coming, preparing the way for the Messiah. And that was John the Baptist. And he came out and he, he lived a weird lifestyle. He lived out in the Jordan River Valley. Years ago, I went to Israel and I went to the place they think that, I don't know how we know this except for tradition, old tradition. The very place that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. We'll get there in just a second, right? And it's a desolate place. Like you, you're not, it's like if you're going out in the middle of the sticks in Clay County someplace, it's not like a, it's not like a, a tourist attraction. Like you, you go in that. That's the only location. No offense if you live in Clay County, okay, right? It's just, it's there, right? Nothing else around it, it's there. Like if you live out in like in a white plains, you know, you're not going out there to go ride a roller coaster. You're just going to a location, right? So it's not a, really an attraction. Jesus or John the Baptist is out there baptized and he's preaching something very, very unique, but not. He's preaching the word, listen carefully, of repentance. It's the very message of the Bible from Genesis to Malachi. That tells me something. Listen, the New Testament did not change messages. It just clarified the message. You with me? So he wears weird clothes, eats weird things, locust and honey. Sounds good, right? At least he had some protein, right? And all that. I don't know how locust tastes, but if you go to Uganda, maybe we'll try them next time, right? Do they have them there? I don't know. Anyway. John appeared, verse 4, baptized in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of, of sins. Number, number two, five gospel truths. Number two, the gospel commands repentance. Listen carefully, y'all. The gospel commands repentance. Salvation is only possible by the forgiveness of sin. Growing in that faith or sanctification, growing in your salvation is only possible by repentance. There is a plague in the American and West Church today. And it is the gospel story of Jesus Without the command to repent. There is no salvation without repentance. There is no salvation without repentance. The message of the Bible has always repent, said, repent, repent, repent. Jesus did not change that. John didn't change that. Repentance is absolutely critical 
to the Christian life, but the salvation initially. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, repent, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Listen, the healing, the forgiving doesn't happen unless there's repenting. Amen? It's one thing to feel sorry for. It's one thing to even believe in God. It's another thing entirely to repent of your sin and place your faith in God and faith in Christ. Start preaching. H.A. Ironside said this, to repent is to change one's attitude towards yourself, towards sin, towards God, and toward Christ. John the Baptist, in his message in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, says, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The Old Testament message said repent. John the Baptist said repent. Jesus said repent. Mark chapter 1, verse, 1, verse 14 and 15, just two verses after our text. I'm not preaching that next week, so you can drag in sin, okay? Just so I, you heard it, all right? Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God's at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, okay, listen carefully. The modern church wants to appeal to and draw people as easy as possible to make it feel as warm and fuzzy as possible. The goal is to build as big a crowd as possible. But that is not the gospel. The gospel confronts us in our sin and demands repentance from our sin. It's not just believe in Jesus. It's repent of your sin and believe in Jesus. Amen? Because to see Jesus for who he really is demands that I then see my sin for what it really is. And then, listen, then I see the need for Christ in my life. It is not okay with us to say, just believe in God. You ever, ever said, well, I believe in God. Well, you know what? James says even the demons believe in God and shudder. It's not enough. Believing in God is not enough, church. We have to repent. Luke chapter 5, verse 32. I have not come to call the righteous, Jesus says, but sinners to repentance. <laughs> the, first, the first sermon, listen, make sure this, you understand, the message didn't change. Old Testament repent, John the Baptist repent, Jesus repent. The first sermon in the church, day one, remember eight years ago for us? Day one of the church, the real church, like the, the, the beginning, 2,000 years ago. Day one. You know what the message was? Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter said to them, repent. Wait, wait, wait. I see, I see a pattern developing here. Message didn't change. You know what's changed? We have. The church has changed. Let me ask this question. Is someone who, is, who walks an aisle and prays a prayer and, and, and places their faith in Jesus Christ and prays a prayer saying, I, I believe in you, Jesus, without ever repenting, are they, are they saved? And the answer is no. And as a church, we are enabling people to go through life with a confidence thinking they're saved when really, in fact, maybe they're lost because they've never repented of their sin. Whew. Does that scare you? Like, I'm not, I don't want you to question your salvation if it's real and genuine, and you should know that by the Holy Spirit of God in your life. I'm not, I'm not asking you to question that. But listen, we should be very careful how we present the gospel because the gospel is first and foremost a gospel of repentance. Let's go on. I got so many quotes here I want to share. I didn't get to preach last week. Y'all know that, right? Like, I'm just like itching right here, right? Sinclair Ferguson said this, Repentance is a characteristic of the whole life, not the action of a single moment. Christian, 
Listen, not only can you not come to Christ initially without repentance, Christian, you can't stay as far in a walking, growing relationship with Christ without the attitude of repentance every day. It's not a one-time thing. It's a daily life, a daily attitude, daily prayer, communion with God. Belief is not enough. We need to repent. Go on. Let's talk about the gospel for a minute. That message of the gospel is absolutely necessary in the world we live in. I think I'm convinced this. One of the most horrifying things we could do to people is not preach that message. Because we set people up for failure. I, I, I put this in the body of your worship guide. Withholding the gospel from our neighbor, the true gospel with the message of repentance, is the most unloving thing we could do. That's the reality. Well, preacher, I don't want to tell people they, that they had to repent of their sin because I don't want to hurt their feelings. Would you rather him hurt their feelings or would rather them die and go to hell? Now, preacher, you're preaching like a hell-fired brimstone kind of preacher today. Is that not the gospel truth? Do we rather tell the person the truth than watch them go and live a life and die without Christ and forever be separated from God in a place that wasn't created for them? Unloving. Go on, Mark chapter 1, verse 5. I'll hurry. All right, and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were out going out in him, being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Like this is like a holy hootenanny kind of revival going on. Okay, is it okay to say that? Like everybody going out here in John. He's weird, but he got a great message and people are everywhere repenting and they're looking forward to something. Maybe John's the Messiah, maybe. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and he ate locust and wild honey. And he preached saying... After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but listen, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit of God. One of the greatest verses about John the Baptist is found in John chapter 3, verse 30. This is what John the Baptist says. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. He was the forerunner, foreshadow. But one coming, and his name is Jesus. Now, it's interesting that he mentions the Holy Spirit here because you're about to see a moment where Jesus is baptized. And the question is why? We'll get there in one second, okay? I'm almost done. Hang in there with me, all right? But you see a harmony here of the Trinity at work even as early as early parts of Mark chapter 1. Number three, your worship guide, the gospel truths. The gospel declares the harmony of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, working together to provide, to call, and to draw the lost to salvation. As early as these early moments of of the gospel of Mark, the first gospel, we see the Father, the Son, and the coming Holy Spirit. In a moment when Jesus is baptized, there's the Son being baptized, glorifying the Father, submitting himself to the will of the Father and the Holy Spirit of God descending on the dove. And even as the Father says, this is my Son whom I'm well pleased, the gospel demands and declares a harmony of all three working together for together. I want you to write down these scripture verses. Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission, all three working together. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, all three working in harmony, Paul says. I love this one. First Peter chapter 1, verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. The Trinity is never said, by the way, in the New Testament, but it is certainly there working in unison. Adrian Rogers once said this. He said, the doctrine of the Trinity is not beyond logic and reason, just above it. If you can describe in detail and understand everything about the Trinity, please sit down with me. 
but I have never met nor read or heard anybody who can fully understand it. And that's okay. Because if you could fully understand the God you worship, what kind of God would that be? Verse 9, Mark 1. In those days then, Jesus. Here is our Jesus. He came from Nazareth of Galilee. And the question is, he, he was baptized by John in the Jordan, but why? I, I believe that Jesus does something for us unique here. I believe that Jesus sets an example for us. And we're, we're a Baptist church. If you're not familiar with Baptist churches, we, we even got it in our name. This is a, a pretty big deal, all right? We only have two ordinances. We have the Lord's Supper and we have baptism. Not three. We don't do foot washing. I don't like feet, amen, all right? Baptism's a big deal. Baptism is a sign. It's a symbol of a life that is being changed and been changed by the gospel. It is not salvation. Salvation happens when you repent of your sin and you place your faith in Christ. But baptism is a symbol of that. And so Jesus didn't need to be saved. He's the Savior. But what he does is this. He shows us a submission to the will of the Father. You with me? He gives us an example of how to submit to the will of the Father and then ultimately then the Lordship of Jesus Christ. By doing so, he shows everyone that he lives, breathes, dies, and raised for the will of the Father. So baptism today is the same thing. It is a picture, a public profession then of dying to yourself and living for the good pleasure of the Father, for the glory of the Father and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Baptism is a big, big deal. So why would Jesus be baptized? Because he wanted to set an example for you and I to also follow in those waters. Number five, the gospel received stipulates a profession declared. That's preachy, Joey. That is like so preachy. Think about it. When you receive the gospel, you need to do something with that gospel, right? You need to profess it with your mouth, right? And that is exactly what baptism does. I think about Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Verse 10 says, For the, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Acts 2, thir verse 38 again. Repent, Jesus said, or Peter says in the very first sermon, repent and be baptized. Repent and believe, that's salvation. Be baptized and submit yourself to the lordship and leadership of the Father and the Son. Amen? Dissociate yourself. By the way, for early... <laughs> New Testament Christian, early church Christian, the idea of being saved and not being baptized is a foreign concept. Because to be saved meant then you identify with the people of Christ. To be baptized is to identify with Christians who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and are part of the church. Now, one of the biggest holdups I have sometimes with people's faith when we talk about it as pastor and conversation. Like I'm struggling with my faith and, and, and many of which have never been baptized. And I believe this, that your first act of obedience is so essential that if you don't do the first act of obedience, it will hold you up with the rest of it. Amen? If you've ever repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ and never been baptized, there is going to be a hindrance to your spiritual growth and maturity because you never were obedient to the submitting to the lordship and leadership by baptism first. It don't save you. It just declares that you are saved. And when you don't declare that you are saved, ooh, it's a tricky area. When it comes to your confidence in Christ. Jesus said this way, Matthew chapter 10. He says, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So, so we got to do something with the gospel. We got we to we publicly declare that gospel. 
Verse 10, Mark chapter 1. And when Jesus came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven that says, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Now it's interesting, we're not going to stop there because I believe this is a launching to the next couple of verses, okay? And I'm almost done, I promise you. I know some of y'all want cookie cake. I love cookie cake. Can I get a witness? Amen, right? It's out there. You can get some in a minute, all right? But this is better than cookie cake, all right? Promise, all right? It's interesting that a spiritual high moment like this was immediately followed by perhaps one of the most hard seasons for Jesus. This is the moment of mountaintop. Like, this is a commissioning moment. But Danny Aiken said this way, a commissioning by God is often followed by a time of testing. So you know what the very first next thing is? The Spirit, verse 12, immediately the Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness. Like, I don't know how that worked. Did the Holy Spirit of God take a whip and say, get out of here, get out of here? I don't know, right? But the Holy Spirit led him out of the Jordan area to the wilderness, which is not far away where John the Baptist was. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Now, sometimes y'all get a little cranky, a little hangry on Sunday mornings. The preacher goes a little long. Can I get a witness, right? Can you imagine being 40 days in wilderness without nothing to eat hardly whatsoever? I mean, I don't know if Jesus was hangry or whatever, but temptation there. When, you're, when your body is weak, your mind is weak. Your spirit is weak. He was tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild angels, and the angels were ministering to him. What's interesting in here is, is as early as this baptism, Jesus goes, submitting himself to the lordship, leadership of Christ, or to the Father. You know what immediately follows that? A testing. A testing. And, and really, war. Think about it this way. From this point on, the battle begins. This is what Danny Aiken says. The battle begins here, but it will rage all the way to a Roman cross and empty tomb. Here is Christ in deadly combat. With the enemy for the eternal souls of men. And if he loses, we are lost. From, from the commissioning moment at the riverside, Jesus goes in the wilderness and he battles Satan for 40 days. You know what he's telling Satan? Remember Genesis chapter 3? Remember that, that little verse about, you know, the seed of the woman and the serpent and stuff? Remember that? Oh yeah, the day is here, Bubba. That's what Jesus is saying. It's on like Donkey Kong. Right? I thought, never mind, sorry. Why would Jesus do that? First John chapter 3, verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. By the way, gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ is warfare. It is. Number five. Number last. The gospel does not give us amnesty or reprieve from temptation, but power over sin. Doesn't get, listen, I, I, listen, how many of y'all wish this with me? I wish the moment that I repented my sin, I placed my faith in Christ, that I was no longer tempted by anything. That is not the truth. Every day the enemy whispers in my ear. Temptation is around every corner. Listen, it doesn't give me a reprieve from temptation. But the gospel received gives me power over that temptation and over that sin. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Charles Spurgeon said this. Remember that the Lord Jesus came to take away sin in three ways. He came to remove the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and ultimately at the last, the presence of sin. He has already accomplished the first two. He has already taken away, Christian, the penalty of sin in your life. 
The wages of sin is death. For those who are in Christ are no longer in death. He's also given you power over sin because Christ is greater than he that is in the world, right? You have the ability by the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, Christian, to say no to sin. And one day, one glorious day, ultimately will liberate us from the presence of sin. Until then, live in the power of the gospel over the sin. I love 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Write this one down. No temptation is overtaking you. That is common to man. God is faithful. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. That you may be able to endure it. There's no temptation that you experience that God has not given you a way out. The key is to look for the way out. And you know how you combat sin and temptation? The same way Jesus did with the word of God. So let me remind you, the gospel, five gospel truth. The gospel demands a savior who is fully God at the same time becomes fully man for the purpose of our redemption. Number two, the gospel commands then repentance. Salvation is only possible by the forgiveness of sin. Sanctification is only possible by repentance. Number three, the gospel declares the harmony of the Trinity working together to provide and call and draw the lost to salvation. Number four, the gospel receive stipulates a profession declared. To receive the gospel means you declare the gospel, make a public profession, be baptized because of your faith. And number five, the gospel does not give us amnesty or reprieve from temptation, but power over sin. And that is the optimal word in this series. Christ's power over every need. Your greatest need is not in your bank account today. Your greatest need, friend, is not in relationships. Your greatest need is not in your career. Your greatest need is not for Georgia to win tomorrow night's football game. Your greatest need is the forgiveness of your sin and a Savior who is Jesus Christ. That's your greatest need. And that's their greatest need as well. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. Lord, help us to live out the gospel. Lord, to see the the written gospel, Lord, as the narrative. But Lord, to live out this gospel by the way that we live. Lord, help us to be, be people of repentance. Lord, to be constantly confessing our sin. Lord, to be people who are obedient, submitting ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ, walking in obedience in every step of the way from, from our salvation to our baptism, Lord, by the way that we serve, the way that we give, the way that we follow Christ, by the way that we share the gospel with others. Lord, help us to look for the way out when we find temptation, to see the way Jesus modeled submission to the Father. Lord, help us to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't have a relationship with Christ this morning, Lord, that your, your gospel preached would lead them to repent of sin and place the full way of their trust in Christ. Lord, build your kingdom, build your church, lead us to repentance. Lord, bring marriages back together, restore broken relationships. Do, Holy Spirit, what only you can do in our time of commitment this morning. I pray that.